Hello and welcome back to your weekly witch fix. I apologise in advance if this episode is perhaps a little bit less pre-planned than usual. I am reviewing a book that I've had for quite some time and I thought I had a long time left to review it but unfortunately it sold on eBay yesterday so straight after this it's going in an envelope and out of my house for good. We're having a, a big declutter here at Witch Fix headquarters aka my bedroom. So uh, what book are we reviewing today? It will be Wild Women or Wild Woman. It's unclear. I assume Wild Women because there's three women but there's only one woman on the cover so that's just mysterious. This is a book by Moira Hodgkinson and it's published by Children of Artemis Publishing which is the new imprint of Children of Artemis, the pagan organisation responsible for Witchfest Midlands and Witchfest International. And I actually bought this book uh, when it came out. It was brought out at Witchfest International 2017 where I'd gone uh, as a guest of a friend of mine who is a member of Children of Artemis and on the main stage of the event the welcome bit where they sort of announced all the different talks and what would be happening there were big banners of this book and the guy came up on stage and was talking about how they just started a publishing imprint and they were publishing uh, Wild Women this year and I was really excited by this obviously when we went around the, the hall afterwards and we were looking at all the pretty crystals and jewellery and tools and stuff that they were selling they had a booth that was selling copies of this book and they offered me a discount because I had a, a gold member wristband on. So normally the book is £9.99. I think I got it for £8 so it's sort of like £1.99 off which is fair enough and I bought it because I really like uh, fiction about Wiccans, about real life pagans. I like a bit of magical realism more than I like fantasy and I thought this is great. This is a book that was written by a pagan, published by a pagan organisation that I've heard of and which is quite reputable and I'm sort of supporting local business if you like it's not local business technically but you know what I mean I'm supporting the community and someone like me in the community who is a writer and also a witch so it was really unfortunate that when I started reading the book I felt really let down and it was kind of ruined for me by a lot of the errors in the writing uh, and I said that I would be kinder towards self-published books because I know how difficult it is. And to be the only pair of eyes looking at something that you've written, it's almost impossible to find all the mistakes. You don't question yourself enough and you don't hold yourself accountable enough, which is why editors exist. So I, I do want to be kind on this book. However, it is selling for £9.99. It is printed as a, a proper book. It is being touted about by Children of Artemis Publishing. I saw it advertised in Pagan Dawn. All the reviews, except for mine, on Goodreads are five-star reviews saying that this is an amazing book and that it's wonderful. And I just feel like either those people are being very nice, either those people maybe just don't have the kind of mind that I do where I get fixated on these little things and then can't enjoy the story and one of those reviews was by the author herself so I'm I'm very confused about why that's there. So what I wanted to do is just talk to you a little bit about the actual errors in how the text is put together and some of them are sort of they break down into two categories one is sort of errors in spelling and, and grammar which are very occasional and I don't really let spelling annoy me because when I was younger, they actually thought that I was dyslexic because my spelling was so bad. And then they found out, no, I'm just terrible at spelling. So I mean, I'll let spelling go. The computer can do that for you. And sometimes it just won't pick things up. And that's fine. I'll skim over that. 
it's no biggie. But if someone doesn't know how to put a sentence together so that when I read it, it makes sense on the first pass, if someone puts together paragraphs that confuse me and I have to read six or seven times just to work out who is speaking and what's going on, that's a failure to me and I, I can't read a book like that. Having said that, I did manage to get to the end of this one, but it was a, it was a grim old trial. So some of the basic errors that in just sort of formatting and how things are put on the page are the fact that the first paragraph of new chapters is indented. I mean, I'm not going to not read a book because of that, but I thought I'd mention it. There's also speech that starts in the middle of a paragraph. And I know sometimes you'll say someone said something and then they'll maybe go off and they'll like fill a kettle or do something else, a small action, and then continue what they were saying. And that's fine. But this is, it starts with an action someone speaks and then another action and then someone else speaks and it's in the same paragraph and it drove me absolutely batty because I kept having to reread it and try and work out what the hell was going on. There's also Americanisms which I thought was weird because I think the author is actually British. I, I don't know about that for certain but so there's occasionally things that they'll say tub instead of bath or pants instead of trousers and I know we all watch a lot of American television and films nowadays and Honestly, I find myself talking in Americanism sometimes, so I can kind of overlook that as well. But those are just some of the sort of basic issues that I had. And I mean, I'd overlook those in any self-published book that I bought for, you know, 99p to £3.99. But for £9.99, so basically for £10, I would expect someone to have gone through and maybe pointed out, actually, this isn't how you format a book. Um, just basic things like that and I don't know who was in charge of that whether it was the writer or the people who published it but it irked me a little bit. So the plot of the book is uh, essentially a story about three women. There's the grandmother whose name is Magda, she's a, a practicing Wiccan, she's kind of a local village wise woman, she makes creams and things very much like uh, Sally in Practical Magic. Uh, she is currently living in a little cottage with her granddaughter, whose name is Sal. And Sal is also a practicing Wiccan. She's also a lesbian. She is sort of drifting about. She doesn't have a job. She's in one of those sort of periods in life where it's very in flux. And in between those two is Jasmine, who's Sal's mother and Magda's daughter. And Jasmine was raised pagan by her mum, but is not actually practicing. And she is currently also staying with Magda from the start of the book because she's just left another job, she's had another disastrous relationship and basically they're all trying to kind of get their lives together and get them back on track which is a kind of plot that I can deal with because obviously a lot of things that are about spirituality are based in your life and what's happening to you and how you deal with that so that's fine and I also really liked that obviously Sal is a lesbian which is great for me because that means representation for myself uh, also because Magda ends up having sort of a romance affair and that's nicer to see that like an, an older character having a romance um, and not sort of a younger character who maybe doesn't need to be sort of embroiled in a romance it was it was different and good and that I really enjoyed so this is where we start to get into some of the sense issues with the text and I'm going to illustrate these with some quotes which I'll just sort of they're brief quotes so I'll explain where they come from in the text the following extract is a conversation with Sal and Jasmine, and they're having it in a yoga class changing room. So Jasmine makes a comment about she is sceptical of meditation, which she thinks is going to be involved in yoga. And the changing room outside of the little cubicle that her and Sal are in is sort of crammed with sort of described as yummy mummies. And so there's a bit of description of the room that they're in. 
And then Sal says, this is nothing, Sal told her. Just wait for the Red Moon Lodge. More meditation than you can shake your wand at. Jameson is writing in upper class letters now. I'm sure baby Pansy May is ready for potty training already. Daniel and I had a date night last week and the sitter said Hestia didn't cry at all. Do those women realise their children are going to grow up hating them with those kind of names? Jasmine hissed. That's on page 95 if you want to go and read it, but I've read it basically as is. There is no um, description in between those lines. Are you confused? Because I was. So I think what's happening is that the first part is Sal talking and the rest is the mums outside the changing room. The problem is when you're reading a piece of text and it's speech and there's no speech tags, it's just line of speech, line of speech, line of speech, line of speech. You assume that they're taking it in turns. So it goes Sal, Jasmine, Sal. And if you have someone interrupting that, what you should have is something sort of like, this is nothing, Sal told her. Just wait for the Red Moon Lodge. More meditation than you can shake your wand at. Jameson is writing in upper letters now, came the shrill voice of one of the women outside of the cubicle. And that's a speech tag, and that will tell you who's talking. And then you won't have a really confused and slightly annoyed reader. Uh, another example of something that really annoyed me when I was reading is this. Yes, Bonnie echoed, looking at her curiously. What did you think they'd be? Oh, she shut her mouth, opened it and then shut it again. Her brain grappled with the thought and then she said, that's on page 85. Uh, Bonnie is not one of the main characters. So what annoys me about this is that the book itself is told in alternating perspective between Magda, Jasmine and Sal. But there are times when it will be Magda's chapter say and suddenly in the line we'll have how Sal's feeling or one of Jasmine's thoughts will randomly crop up in a Magda paragraph and that's mind reading which is something that they tell you, well they told me in my undergraduate course, that you can't do. You can't have a character knowing for certain what another character is feeling when they're in their own point of view. Mind reading isn't something that's part of the magic in this magical book. So this is just a, a case of poor writing, basically. So, for example, in this situation, it could be because it's Sal's perspective that she thinks that Bonnie looks like she's grappling with a thought because that's an expression that Bonnie could have on her face. But we can't know that Bonnie is grappling with it because we're not Bonnie and Bonnie isn't even a point of view character. Characters in the book also behave in some really strange and exaggerated ways. And here we come out of how to make sense in text and just into how to make sense when you're writing about people and to make it believable. So there's an example of this. In one of the first chapters, Sal buries her cat. I think that's like the opening scene of the book. Sal is having a burial for her pet cat with her gran. And her mum shows up and she's got kind of a, a weird and tense relationship with her mum. But her mum gives her a new cat collar as a sort of peace offering gift. And I was thinking as I read that, oh, it's a bit too soon. Like if I was sort of burying in the act of literally burying my pet cat and someone gave me a new collar and said, oh, you can just get another one. I'd be really upset. But Sal accepts the gift. Everything's fine. So I sort of thought, oh, OK, maybe Sal's a bigger person than me. Sal is clearly taking this as the olive branch it's intended to be. Her relationship to her mum is more important. And I kind of made a note of that in my head because obviously it's the first chapter. You're getting to know these characters. You're trying to work out what's important to them and how they will react to things later on. But then a few chapters later, her mum asks if it was a right to give her the collar. And that's when Sal suddenly explodes in anger at her mum for being really disrespectful by suggesting she gets a new cat. 
even though at that point their relationship has gotten a lot better than it was in that first chapter when they were sort of meeting again after a absence and then Sal goes straight out and gets a new cat shortly after and so that's just not very consistent I've tried to learn Sal's behavior by reading the book and reading what the author has made it important for me to know to know her as a character but it feels like her character is changing and therefore I can't get to know her and therefore I can't really care about her. Now, there's another example of this sort of uncanny valley behaviour uh, on page 94. She looked at her watch and shrieked with alarm to see she only had half an hour to nip home and change into something more appropriate to wear on the bike for her date with Stuart. So half an hour for me, if I live in the village where I am currently stood, is perfectly enough time to get home and just quickly get changed but that aside who looks at their watch and actually shrieks with alarm to find out they only have half an hour to do something that probably won't take that long maybe if it's you're half an hour late for picking your children up from daycare there's an americanism for you or maybe if you're half an hour late to administer your grandmother's insulin something that is life or death or something that has real life repercussions not being able to go home and change into a pair of trousers is not cause to just stand in the middle of the street and shriek at your watch like you've just seen a non-pod person in invasion of the body snatchers uh, there are also some running jokes in the book that don't really make a lot of sense an example of this is uh, jasmine buys some yoga pants for the aforementioned yoga class and then about four times she makes a sort of joke that they aren't tote. I have no idea what this means. I read those bits over and over again and I was like, she bought these in person. She didn't buy them online. So I thought, when people say, like, oh, well, that's not taupe, I thought, okay, maybe you ordered taupe yoga pants and hot pink ones arrived with like llamas all over them. And that would be a joke, I suppose. She doesn't have a reputation for only wearing taupe either. So that's not a reason for people to say it. And I was just phenomenally confused about why this was considered funny or why she would even remark on this at all. And then the actual finishing gag of the yoga pants scenario, like the point where they're not mentioned again because they've run their course, is that they're actually too tight. And when she goes into like downward dog or whatever, they rip open, which has nothing to do with the colour. So maybe if the preceding four times she said, oh, these look a bit tight. Oh, I hope these don't split or something like that. That would have led up to that joke. And I, I use the term joke very loosely because it, it's not that entertaining. But it just made no sense to me. And I was just left kind of rereading these paragraphs going, why are these people talking about taupe? I don't understand. I know at this point it might seem like, oh, Sarah you're being a bit bitter and a bit mean to this poor woman and I am that's a completely reasonable thing to say the sticking point for me is that if this was a book that I bought for 99p because I was like oh that's a book about witches I quite like those and I do buy books like that on Amazon all the time and I read them and they're not written very well and then I just kind of give it a three-star review on Goodreads and I'm out this cost me £10. This is backed by and produced by Children of Artemis, which organises big events for pagans. This has been reviewed in Pagan Dawn and various other pagan magazines. They've made a big fuss about this. And in my mind, if you make a big fuss about something, if you go out there and advertise it and you put it in people's faces when they've come to your event, you better be pretty damn certain that that thing is good. You better be pretty damn certain that what you are giving to people and what you are selling to them for that much money 
is worth that amount of money. And for me, this book is written like a book with a dodgy clip art cover that you would buy for maybe 99p, 1.99 on Amazon. Ebook exclusive. I don't entirely blame the writer for these because she's written a book that I did actually, like the plot of which, taupe and yoga pants and shrieking aside, I quite enjoyed. It was an interesting plot. It was interesting to see this sort of maiden mother crone triplicate sort of represented in a new and different way. For it, like you don't have the young character who's worried about her career. That's left to the middle-aged one. The elderly woman is the one who's having the, the romance. And the younger woman is sort of trying to find her own place, if you like, her own identity. And I found it interesting and it was very... It would have been an interesting and really good read if the writing hadn't let it down so much. And I think any decent proofreader or even a friend to read it would have noticed that. And I kind of blame Children of Artemis for publishing this without even, it seems, looking at a book, an actual published book and going, oh, actually, they don't indent the first line of a paragraph of a new chapter. They don't write dialogue like this it just reads like we decided we wanted to put out a pagan novel and so we got someone who'd written one that we thought was okay and then we just put their entire manuscript without really doing much to it into a creator book format and then printed off a couple of thousand copies to sell to people it's just the lack of effort that kind of upsets me so i bought this because i really enjoy realistic pagan fiction and it's realistic it's fills that brief completely. It's pagans, Wiccans, living their best lives out here in the British countryside. And I appreciate the British setting, I really do. And that I really enjoyed. So if that's the kind of thing that you enjoy reading about, you could do worse than reading this book. I'm not going to say, don't read this, it's terrible. Because it's not. It's, it's actually quite interesting to read. And if you can get by all those little nitpicky things that I've pointed out, then that's fine. It's just that for me, they snowballed so quickly and they just stopped me from having a good time with this. The only thing that I would mention if you are going to go and pick up a copy and read it, and obviously I'm sending my copy on to someone who's just bought it on eBay, so well done that person because you got it for like £3, which is what I'd say it's worth. The book doesn't actually have any resolution at the end. It's about 200 pages long, which again isn't very long for a book that costs this much. And also the plot doesn't really end. It just kind of stops and then it says, see you in the sequel or there will be more or I can't remember what it says on the last page. So it's a book that doesn't have an end. And that really annoys me as well, especially sometimes I read like series of ebooks and they all end on cliffhangers and it's just to get you to buy the next one. And I feel like that's a little bit cheap and a little bit exploitative because it's not a book that needs a cliffhanger. It's not like a crime novel. It's not a mystery. It's not Dan Brown. It's just a book about some women dealing with some problems that aren't particularly high octane or dramatic. It doesn't need a cliffhanger. And I feel like that's just been put there for this other book that I don't know if it's even come out yet because I can't even find this one, Wild Women, on Amazon. It just doesn't seem to exist. As I said, I won't say don't buy it because obviously there's people out there who will enjoy it and who will like to read it, but just go into it with maybe lower expectations than I had when I bought my copy and read it. I think that is the key here, is just go into it thinking this is just going to be a book 
that I'm going to read and it's not going to be good and it's not going to be particularly terrible. It's just going to be a bit of a first draft that just happens to be bound with a cover. To finish this up, I'm going to read you a bit of the prologue because I've given you some quotes that I've pulled out just to illustrate my points. And I think it'd be fairer if I just read you an uninterrupted piece from the very start of the book so that you can sort of hear how the writing goes. And if it's something that would appeal to you, you can go in and read it without just having those bits that I've pulled out as your only representation of the book. So here we go. Wild Women, the prologue. Get your hands in there, Sal. A little bit of dirt won't hurt, no matter what your mum says. Gran's opinion of my mother hadn't changed much over the long years. These things are best done with the hands. She hollowed the earth deeper with her bare hands, rich soil merging with roughened skin. I find her earth-stained hands comforting, but my mother holds them in disdain. The two of them couldn't be more different if they tried. Gran wears long, flowy, earthy-coloured clothes from second-hand shops, while mum is a complete fashion victim. Gran works hard as a tarot reader and healer, and Mum rebelled to find work as an assistant bank manager. Gran is honest and kind with a good sense of humour, and she brought me up with laughter and love. Mum is a drama queen. She never swears, rarely laughs, and hates the outdoors. Gran has a way with people, plants and animals, and she's full of good advice. Mum continually makes poor decisions and ends up in trouble, which is why we came to live with Gran when my father died. Then Mum moved in with one terrible boyfriend after another, the most recent of whom was also the worst. That's deep enough, love. Gran's voice brought me back to the present and I turned to the hole in the ground and the wooden box next to it. No tears, Sally, Gran chided. Time enough for that, the dark moon. Tonight she's full, so let's remember the good things, eh? You're right, Gran. I took a deep breath and picked up the box, running my hands over the polished surface. I thought about this moment all day, but suddenly I was speechless. Gran's hand settled on my shoulder and a subtle surge of energy ran through me. I breathed rhythmically, silently asking the goddess to help me too. Lady Bast, help me find the words for this little soul. Help me get through. Lady Bast, watch over my dear Judy. Cherish her as I have, and, and take her, take her into your heart. Gran took up the thread, her words coming naturally where my own had floundered. We thank you, Judy, for your loyalty, love and companionship. We honour your spirit and give you rest with the old ones. I nestled the box carefully in the ground, packed the space around it with flowers and herbs, and placed a photograph of Judy on top. Gran laid the turf back down, patting it into place. She stood up, taking my smooth hand in her wrinkled one, and moved to the altar. A small table was set with my ritual tools and the sad addition of a silver cord. Sally, it's time, Gran said quietly. Heavy-hearted, I picked up the cord and scissors and shut my eyes briefly, determined not to cry. Lord of the forest, Lady of the moon, may ever the cord be loosened and the spirit be free. May we meet, remember and love one another again in this world or beyond. I snipped through the cord, laying one piece over the grave in a spiral, the other on the altar. I'd sleep with it under my pillow tonight, along with Judy's little red collar. So mote it be, 
An unexpected voice came from the shadows, and we both spun around, surprised to see our visitor. Is that Judy? my mother asked. Mum? How could you know that? I sniffed. Not knowing if I should move towards Gran or Mum, I took the safer option and stayed rooted to the spot. I wish my gorgeous feline familiar hadn't died, that she was waiting to come for me, and so this awkward meeting of stubborn women wouldn't feel so heavy in the still of the night. Mum shuffled and looked down at her feet. I can't explain it, I just felt something telling me to come here. Out with it, Gran said stonily. What are you really doing turning up at the poor lass's requiem for Judy like this? Gran, please stop it, I shouted. I hate to see them bicker, even though I was used to it. I'm going in, Gran's voice was cold and distant. I'll see you inside, Sal. She grabbed her athme off the altar and marched across the garden to the back door, slamming it shut. What are you doing here, Mum? I hadn't seen her in six months. I've just buried the cat I've loved for twelve years. I'm not in the right frame of mind for your drama. Can we sit down, love? she asked. I followed her to the living willow seat nestled against the fragrant honeysuckle. The full moon's light made the bright pattern of my mum's shoes glimmer and shine. My worn and mucky Doc Martins were shabby and tired in comparison. Mum turned to me, brushing her hand briefly over my cheek. A tiny stubborn part of me wanted to draw back, but a bigger part of me felt comforted. She steadied herself and took a deep breath. I filed for divorce yesterday. Well, that was a bolt from the blue. I know it's been a long time coming. She smiled weakly and looked away. How did you get away from the slug? The slug, my so-called stepfather, was a prime example of the cowardly wife beaters I'd come across while doing admin for a woman's shelter last month. I haven't told him. I just put a bag in the car and went to work as usual this morning. I thought about it all day and then I drove straight here. She shook her head, laughing suddenly. All this time and she was right. I just didn't want to admit it. We've both been telling you for years, Mum. shouldn't have moved in with him in the first place. I know, and it was stupid of me. That man is the biggest mistake I've ever made. My eyes were leaking, so now it was my turn to look away. Through the kitchen window, I could see Gran at the table, glass of red wine in hand, surrounded by pots and pans and clouds of e-cigarette vapour. She smoked, she swore, and she drank, but this loving woman had always been there for me, while my mother's contact had been sporadic and selfish. I'm so sorry, Sally. Mum brushed away her tears. I knew I'd never be happy with him, but by then it was too late. She shook her head. I was stuck with it, Sally. I was so scared. I'd heard it all before, but working at the Women's Refuge had taught me compassion and understanding. Gran's kindness played a large part of that too, but nothing made up for Mum's intermittent contact once she moved out of the house. The slug was just the latest and nastiest of her bad life choices. You've taken the first steps, I tried to sound reassuring. Things will get better from here. I don't expect it to be easy, she went on, but I hope I can start building bridges between us now I'm free. You want to stay here? I felt a tingle of warmth at the thought of it. I think I'd like that, Mum, but I don't know if Gran will warm to the idea. Yes, I've got my work cut out for me there. Mum straightened up and pulled a small package out of her handbag. Here, I got you something. My Gran had given Judy to me as a companion when Mum and I first came to live in the village. I was barely a teen and Judy, still a kitten back then, helped me adjust to life in Gran's house and I would miss her dreadfully. And now Mum was offering me this small box at the end of Judy's life, some pathetic trinket to buy my affection. I've always denied my witchiness, she said, shaking her head and looking up at the moon to avoid my eyes. I guess it scared me a little and I got teased at school, the way mum dresses, the tarot readings. You know what kids can be like. I let out a huffing sigh. I knew exactly what she meant. I'd gone through the same hellish torment at school myself. I fumbled with the wrapping paper while mum tried to explain. 
but I still have flashes of intuition, times when I need to knock on wood or say hello to magpies. I felt so unsettled for the past few days and it was definitely not connected to Paul for once. I wanted to come and see you, Sally. Oh, Mum! I sobbed loudly and she held me close, kissing my forehead before heading inside to break her news to Gran. It was a struggle to remain composed looking down at Judy's collar, especially with Mum's revelation about the divorce. Her relationship with the slug had been doomed when the first bruises landed. It had been four nasty, hard years, and her reluctance to admit what was going on played a large part in the arguments between her and Gran. But I think, really, they were just too different to get along. Maybe now the walls between them would start to come down. The altar was lit only by the stars and moon, and I took out the box to look at the contents again. Judy had been my companion and my comfort for so long. I couldn't bear the thought of not having her in my life. I opened the box again and smiled at the gift, a new cat collar, its tag engraved with my name and phone number. Tucked in with it were the details of a local animal shelter. I looked up at the moon, feeling the soothing energy of the goddess offering strength and courage. The loss of my cat had brought new situations to light, and I looked forward to seeing how things would turn out from here. I packed up the altar tools and made my way back indoors while Mum walked inside. I have no idea for how long I lingered outside. Once I got in the aroma of vanilla candles and sandalwood greeted me in the dining room. Gran poured me a glass of wine and I plonked myself between her and Mum. We sipped our wine in silence until Mum's mobile lit up. She read the text with a worried expression. It's Paul. Where am I and when am I coming back? She sounded terrified and her hands were shaking as her fingers hovered over the phone. Don't you dare! Gran swiftly laid a hand over Mum's to stop her replying. He won't come here for you, not for love nor money. You can stay here for as long as you need to. I don't know what the two of them have been talking about when I'd left them alone. It must have been a deep and hard conversation to have led to this turnaround. What have I missed? I asked. Have you two patched things up? Not by a long shot, Sally, Mum scoffed. But we're working on it, Gran said, the glint of a smile on her wrinkled face. Aren't we? You two are like sugar and spice, I mused aloud. So different to each other, but you go together well when the recipe is right. Oh, stop being daft and drink your wine, Sal. Gran hid a sly grin and I caught a glint of moonlight shining through the window. In two weeks the orb would be new, the perfect time to start looking for a new familiar. I held the little box in my hand and went up to bed, tucking it under my pillow with the silver cord and Judy's red collar. And that night, I dreamed the dream of a thousand cats. This has been your weekly Witch Fix. Remember, you can get in contact with me on Twitter at WitchFix and by email, which is witchfixpodcast at gmail.com. I look forward to hearing from you. If you have any recommendations for me, please do send them over and I'll see you in the next episode. Bye.